0: Good afternoon, Thomas. How are we? Great, mate. How you doing? I'm awesome. I'm awesome. A few weeks back, I mentioned to you it would be awesome if, uh, if I could interview you for your podcast. A lot of people, um, unfortunately, don't know you as probably well as some of us do. And yes. uh, I just wanted you to share with us sort of your start, you know, from your beginnings. So I know initially you were born in Vietnam.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, I was born in Vietnam. And then um, when I was six months old, uh, my parents went to uh, Laos. Okay. So which is uh, the the, uh, neighboring country. Then at the age of seven, I went to Belgium. Okay. So after the, um, in 1975, after the war broke out between the North and the South Vietnamese, no countries around there was really safe dad went onto the first planes to France didn't like France so went to Belgium we all joined him after that
0: okay so your dad fled first i believe that your dad had a bit of political yes um, issues uh,
1: yes i probably don't want to go too much into that okay because yeah. i am anti uh,
0: stay away from politics
1: no 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 it's not that you know but the past is the past yeah okay. no, it's it's done now. So. okay I ask
0: i asked you so dad fled first yeah. and then um it's you your mum and is it a brother and a sister
1: no two brothers and two sisters
0: wow so there's five so six of you so led by your mum and yeah. you're the oldest child and that's I right, right say yes that? so then you've got two sisters two brothers um, you're the oldest and you're seven at that time yeah and then you had to leave Vietnam Sorry, yeah. Laos was Laos that you left
1: uh, no Vietnam because it's it's a long story but we we went back to Vietnam because my uh, younger uncle was killed in a bombing. While we were there for the funeral, they actually bombed the airport. So we were stuck in Vietnam for about three, four months. Wow. Yeah. I've seen guns and ammunition and everything in the streets. I've seen really the invasion.
0: Wow. Okay. And then so uh, your mum was obviously speaking to your dad via phone. Was that a... Yes, that's correct. Okay. And your dad was like, get out of there. Yeah.
1: He, He was already gone. Okay. He, he said, this is the news I've got. Uh, they're going to bomb. And mom didn't believe it. Uh, so she said, hey, listen, you know, my brother just died. I need to be here for my parents. I will join in a few days. not the matter of a few days. But he said, no, 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 no. I'm leaving right now with with one of the last plane. I, I got a tip from the uh, French embassy. So it's happening within hours. And he was right. Within hours, they just bombed the airport. And they bombed the, the runway so that no other planes could take
0: off. Right. That's how they freeze the whole country. Right. So then you, so then your mum had the decision to take the five U and, and escape altogether. That's correct, yes. And how, how was that journey? What was that journey like?
1: Well, that was a crazy journey because we couldn't really flee by plane, even though she managed to find our passport. So we took a, 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 the first plane out to Laos, but then we were stuck. So mum had to buy us tickets to travel through the jungles by night. Mate, the only thing I could really remember is walking with gold in my shoes so that she could use that gold to buy our tickets out. Wow. And I was in so much pain that at the airport, I couldn't walk anymore. And mom sort of said, Keep walking, Thomas. Pretend nothing is there. Man, my my toes were in pain for days after that. Wow. So we traveled through the jungle. We actually crossed the uh, Mekong River. This is a brave thing. And, and you've met my mother. She's five foot tall, right? And, and here's a woman with five kids, and the youngest one was one year old. She had to make a decision to put two kids at a time on a little boat just to... Cross the river. And back in those days, the, the the soldiers had the order to shoot anyone crossing illegally. And mum still took that brave decision to just put us on a boat
0: with our siblings and cross. So the two of you at a time in a canoe or boat yep. to cross the river, the river. And the soldiers had orders to shoot on site, yep. anyone fleeing the country or illegal crossings and so forth.
1: And I would say that they probably took pity on her yeah. and, and they didn't uh, shoot us. And then once we were on on the other side, so we were in Thailand, that's when the embassy took us in and they got all the tickets ready because Dad had been in in touch with them. Right. And they flew us straight to Belgium.
0: Wonderful. So that's your your freedom. I just want to go back a little bit. That journey through the jungle, um, you you said your mum organised transport or that journey through the jungle to go to the border. Was that with some sort of... Underground sort of network of people that would help people escape the country. What was that? How did that come about?
1: Oh, man, I, I really don't know. All, okay. all I could say is that we
0: were hiding during, during the day and really traveling by night. Wow. Okay. So, wow. So it was a real experience, a, a dangerous, scary experience for a child mm. at seven.
1: Yeah, very scary. And mum mom always told us, you know, be very careful, uh, kidnapping and all these things, because obviously kidnapping was something that happened. We were scared, but we were uh, not scared, you know. It was almost like, you know, we had full trust in our mother and she, she knew what she was doing. But I, I think even talking about it now, how much of a, a lady was in a five foot tall woman, that's crazy. A lot of courage. True
0: leader. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. So you land in Belgium. Yeah. You can't speak the language. No. Your dad's been in there for six months, you said. Uh, probably four, three, four months. Three, four months. So you've got what little money that you could take with you with gold and so forth. Yeah. So what was life in the beginning of like in Belgium then? We were all sleeping,
1: the seven of us, in a bedroom, the size uh, probably something like three and a half meters by, by four. That was our bedroom for the seven of us. So, so mum and dad in a in bed and we, we were in the bunk. And then so we had two brothers in one bunk, two sisters in the other bunk, and then I had my own bunk. We had the living room where we also had the kitchenette, probably about the size of something like six meters by six. Wow. That was the first six months of our life in Belgium.
0: Well, wow. and that accommodation did you for six months and then obviously your parents were looking to get their feet, get yep. get established again in within Belgium?
1: That's correct, yeah.
0: Could your dad speak any of the language? Could mum speak Yes, French?
1: yes, no, no. Mum and dad spoke a little bit of French, mainly because, you know... The French occupation. The, the of, French colony uh, in, in Vietnam forced everyone to really study yep. French, not as a second language, but as a first language, yep.
0: yeah. Okay, so then they started to establish themselves in Belgium. Yep. and so what did they do? What was their their starting their jobs because they've left? They're starting a new, fresh. It's a new life. I
1: think that mom she became a mate would go to people's place and clean their toilet and houses did
0: whatever it took
1: dad probably got hit the worst because he are two people who created a multi-million dollar business in Laos right they, they had the one of the most reputable school that was only teaching a lot of rich kids uh, to pass year 12 so dad was really someone but when he arrived in Belgium they did not really recognize his teaching diploma and so I think he took quite a bit of a hit. that He had to really take any teaching job in any places. Where mom she understood. We got lucky. We got out. So whatever I have to do now to make sure my kids got something, it's a plus. So one got hit by his vanity and the other one
0: was very happy with the opportunity. Okay. Moving forward for your father, did he take a while to overcome that?
1: I don't think that dad's ever got out of that. okay I think that for the rest of dad's uh, professional life, he always had the resentment of Working so hard, doing so much, and really not getting anything back from life, and so I think that in many ways he sabotaged himself a little bit.
0: Okay, and I know that with your mum's attitude, she went on to—I believe you were telling me—bakeries. Was it?
1: Yes. So after a while, she put some money together, and and then she decided, no, now it's time for me to create my own business. And so she opened one bakery and two and three bakery at the same time, and then she decided to also have a restaurant.
0: That's a lot of work for a little lady, right? (laughs)
1: That's crazy, man.
0: That's crazy.
1: I think that she took on a little bit too much. This is the belief of an Asian mother. I don't care that I have to sacrifice myself or really run myself down to the ground. As long as I can use whatever I can to give my children everything that I hope for them. And so she didn't really look into the hard work. Here's the problem. She then started working at six in the morning and then she'd be coming home at one in the morning, uh, seven days a week. Then one day she fell in the bathroom, knocked herself out with the Zona virus that was actually starting to eat half of her face. Wow. Yeah. Zona virus actually hits people who are so tired, so exhausted that the entire immune system starts to break down. That's when my brother, sister and I, we then decided, no, 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 we're going to have to help mom here. And I was the eldest. Obviously, I was uh, 15.
0: You were 15 at that time this happened?
1: Yes. And so we decided, do you know what? Why don't we start having turn, go and help mum? In turn, two of us would wake up uh, every day at around 5.30. We would just walk to the bakery, set it all up so that she could actually have one extra hour and a half sleep. Wow. And we did that for three, four years.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay. And then, obviously, your mum's health regained her health, and she kept yep. the bakeries and the restaurant. No, for a while. she started
1: selling off a few things because she realised it was too much. too much. So she kept just one bakery
0: and the restaurant. Okay, seeing that work ethic that your parents had and the struggle that they had, you believe you've carried a lot of that into your adult life.
1: The work ethic, maybe, yeah, but the guilt of having to to work hard that that is probably more from education, right? So I work hard, no problem. I I can work very long hours. But no matter how hard I work, uh, even the little bit of rest that I take, I feel guilty for taking it. And that's from dad's education.
0: I can understand where that comes from. Mm -hmm. I want to go back a little bit now. I want to go back a little bit. So seven years of age, we're crossing the Mekong River with gold in our shoes and you're the oldest of of five children. So a lot of responsibility for a seven-year-old to be having really the family's wealth in his shoes. Yeah. And ankle. And around your ankle. Right. Well, okay. <laughs> that's that's a you know, a big responsibility. And coming over to Belgium then, I, I would've I, I know of stories that you say that you are really responsible for the education and your marks of your brothers and sisters. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Probably because they've lost everything. The only thing left that they could have was to have a bit of honour. And the honour was through the marks that their children would would get from school. And so that made me responsible for the entire family. Uh, Not only I was to come home with the best marks at school, but also I was responsible for the schooling of all my siblings. Should they have less than uh, 80%, I was punished on the weekend with maths exercise, whatever exercise there was in in our books. And because for dad, they were too busy going out there trying to make a living for us, I had to do my part. And my part was to make sure that my brothers and sisters were doing well at school.
0: Okay, and so for how long did that continue? Did that continue throughout into your high school and yeah, and oh, absolutely. Beyond?
1: It went right until I finished school.
0: Until you finished school. And then when you finished school, did the next eldest child, were they responsible for the ones under them No, I don't, that so. I don't
1: think so. I don't think so. I think that it was only a responsibility that he gave the eldest
0: in the family. Okay. You've had the responsibility of helping your siblings to achieve great results. Yeah. You've taken on a responsibility with... Uh, Obviously an agreement amongst your brothers and sisters to help mum out when her, her health wasn't the best. What moving forward led you to, I know you started studying medicine?
1: Yeah, but I actually started studying medicine because dad wanted a doctor in the family. Way before I even finished my year 12, dad actually took me to an open day at the university in Namur. When I turned up, I thought it was just a visit when I found out a little bit afterwards that he actually enrolled me. And um, (laughs) Dad has got three boys. He wants one to be a doctor, one's in the army, and one has to be a priest. And so for me, he wanted the best of life for me, so he wanted me to be the doctor. You weren't Um, going to be a priest, that was for sure. No, no, priest, it wasn't (laughs) going to
0: happen. So did he get his uh, soldier and did he get his priest? He
1: got his soldier and he got his doctor.
0: His doctor. Okay, and that was your other brother? Yes. And was that the brother that... Um, suffered from leukemia
1: yes the the one who suffered from leukemia became a doctor
0: oh wow okay Um, so no priest no so did you actually start your study in medicine Yes, I did. I
1: did start my study. I passed my first year uh, in medicine. And then in the second year in medicine, I couldn't stand the corpses, the the blood.
0: How old were you now? How old, how old? I'm, I'm
1: 19 now. Okay. I couldn't stand blood. And it was a very hard decision to make. But at the same time, I was also suffocating. Without knowing, I was suffocating. And so I took the decision to leave. At the same time, I had the opportunity to come to Australia. So I took both of those decisions as one.
0: Did you go to your father and say, I'm, I'm leaving medicine to go to Australia, or was it I'm leaving medicine and then it was a decision to go to Australia? Or I'm, I'm not really so sure
1: now uh, how it really happened, but I, I know that I had to sit down with mum and dad and tell them, this is not for me. What was the response you got? Uh, man, I think it was a tough, tough decision for uh, for me to make, but also a tough, very tough moment for my parents. I, I, I don't know too much because... Obviously I didn't wanna hang around too long, so when I after I said it I must have disappeared from home for a few days. And so I don't know whether they slept. I don't know what they said to each other. But I think sometimes as a child it's good to be 17, 18 or 19 because you, you don't really live with too much care about some of your decisions. You, you make the decisions and you hope that, you know, your parents are going to live with it. Thinking about it now, I think maybe I should have taken a little bit more care and really considered their feelings too without forgetting that it was my life that was at play.
0: That's that's a big sort of decision for an 18, 19-year-old to make by himself, straight out to the parents. And obviously you're not aware of the repercussions. That's that, correct, no. Why Australia?
1: Australia was probably the kind of countries that back in those days people were dreaming of. And also Australia was where I had my girlfriend. That was the easiest escape because she was here. I think I didn't feel then that lonely. Going to Australia, no one was here. No one I knew was really around here. And that meant, for the first time in my life, I think, that meant that I could make mistakes without the repercussion of judgment. damaging the family name.
0: Or the judgment of those around you and so That's forth. That's correct. So what year did you leave Belgium? 1988. 1988. So landing in Australia? Yeah. I believe That you was a bicentenary? Oh yes yes, 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 yes! I actually I, remember I was working in a you know restaurant in the city. Yes, that I, land, I
1: landed two or three weeks after the bicentenary.
0: Wow. Mm. Okay, and so you left Belgium. You landed in Australia, and I, you tell a story. You've, you had a couple of hundred dollars in your pocket. Four hundred. Four hundred dollars in your pocket. Yeah. In 1988, and still not a lot of money then, and it wouldn't have been. It's not that much now, and no. it wouldn't have been that much then. So you've landed new country. You know one person, I believe.
1: Uh, And her family.
0: And her family? Yeah. What do you do? Well,
1: I I decided I was going to study English. So you landed and you couldn't speak English? I couldn't speak very good English at all, mainly because... What's changed? And I'm only joking. (laughs) (laughs) My my mother tongue is mainly French. Right. You know, as as a Belgian, you you know a little bit of English because you have to study at school. But I never had the intention of going anywhere, you know. So for me, English wasn't something I I really concentrated all my efforts upon. And so when I came to this country, I was enrolled in Lingua School of Language. I thought, if I'm going to really make a living here, I might as well just spend a year studying this language the best I can. When I went to the school, they they put me in a class. when, When I realized after the first hour that I was not in the best class, I was pissed off. So I went down to the reception and I said to them, listen, I pay money, I want top class, not shit class. Anyway, whatever happened there, they decided to put me in the best class in the school. And I thought, I might as well just make my money work, you know. Man, what a big mistake. At least the first few weeks. Every five minutes, I had my hand up. I uh, didn't understand things. I I was asking for more uh, clarifications on everything. But then I think that that actually pushed me to do the best I could.
0: Being put amongst... People who speak English better than you. That's right. Peers forced you to improve quicker.
1: Yes, because I was because I'm very competitive.
0: Right. I
1: was the last in the class. The only way was up. I wanted to get up there as fast as I could. Beating these guys became a challenge for me. Right. Every single day on my way home, I would walk along the train station and pick up the newspaper from garbage bins or on seats. And back in those days, man, with 400 bucks in my pocket, I didn't want to spend 40 cents buying the paper every day. Yep. But I had to study English, so I would just pick any newspaper and read for the 40-45 minute trip home, and then white out the few words so I could complete the sentences again. Okay. So I did everything with the paper.
0: So this competitiveness it just instilled in you. This competitiveness does this come from maybe your upbringing with your father, with um, the schooling in within Belgium, and helping your your kids, uh, your your siblings?
1: I, I would say it is coming from Dad. From Dad, it were, I had to be number one. If if I was second in the class, he wasn't happy.
0: Yeah, okay. And you know, there's a saying Anthony Robbins says, we can blame our parents for the bad things, but we've also got to blame them for the good things. That's correct, yeah. And that competitiveness that you've got is served you well in your life. Absolutely. That's a fantastic thing. During this education of English, just in Australia, were you working at all, or was it just study, or...?
1: No, it, it was uh, just studying for uh, quite a few months. But then I knew if, if I wanted to pay for my studies, I had to do something. And so I knew that there was some scholarship, but um, I didn't know how. All I wanted was to study more than anybody else. So after about two two months, I became number one in the class, and I thought, man, this this is not good enough. We've paid for a year, and after two months, I'm now number one. What am I going to do? So I decided to write a school magazine, and so I went to the uh, principal, and I I said to him, listen, Howard, in lingua is everywhere in the world. So why don't I just help you spread the word about the school? And so the idea was that I was going to get a magazine printed out with at least 60 articles every second week from all the students who were at school. And we were at least 500 at all times. Yep. He sort of said to me, what's the catch? I said, no catch. All I want is three typewriters, the access to the photocopy machine and access to the teaching panel so that if I needed help for corrections, they'd be there for me. He thought it was just a joke. But from that day onwards, every second week, I was pumping a magazine out with at least 60 articles from students all over the school. But then I was the one correcting all the articles. Right. I became now the guy who was actually studying faster than the best class. And from that thing, and and this is why I truly believe in doing the best you can until opportunity reveals itself to you. Robert Kiyosaki walked into the school because he was a very good friend to Howard's wife. And back in those days, Robert Kiyosaki was running, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, so rich, rich Dad, dad poor, poor Dad, dad. You yep. know? and the, the quadrants. And he saw me being busy with things and he saw me organizing things at school. And Robert was running a seminar back in those days called Money and You. So he said to Howard, who's that kid? Because I want him in my course. Why don't you just pay half of his seminar? I'll pay the other half and we whack him in the course. And so even though my English was pretty bad back in those days compared to now, it's not so good, but it's, it's not it's, as it's bad. Good. You know? It's good, mate. I, I was privy to be in an amazing seminar that lasted three and a half days with very successful people. At the age of 21, being able to learn the principles of business from a guy like Robert Kiyosaki, it was just
0: out of this world. I believe that seminar he pulled you up on stage, did he not? Yes, he did. He did. Tell us a bit about that.
1: After a few days, I don't know, he, he was he was probably looking for things that stop people from reaching success. And so when he got me on stage, it was pretty good because when he asked me about my problem, I said, listen, this this is my predicament. I'm, I'm here away from my parents who've done a lot for me and I feel guilty for leaving them. But I, I also realised that I can't go home because if I go home, I... Not only I failed, but also I will suffocate again. I mean, for the first time in a long time, I'm breathing. And so I was really in a predicament. And he tried to work things through with me, but then he gave up. At the end, he said, just pack your things and go home. But maybe he didn't give up. Maybe he realized, hold on, no, no, no. With this kid, you don't play that game. Maybe he's that competitive. If I say this, he's going to try and prove me wrong. He's going to do that. Yeah. And so I thought many years after, you know, which I still regret that I never had the opportunity really to thank him. Uh, But I think that Robert Kiyosaki was probably the first leader and, 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 and someone who in three and a half days have done so much for, me, my business mindset, you know.
0: Well, he's a—he's uh, still alive. You can write him a a, a note.
1: I'm sure. I'm sure. But so it's, it's only that you know. Sometimes you just forget about these things. And now that you're talking about this, I'm—I'm I'm sure I'm going to be doing it because you quite often you, you're not aware of things until someone talks
0: about these things again. Absolutely. Maybe send him a couple of your books, which we'll get to in a little while. <laughs> um, but okay, so you've landed in Australia, you've overcome your English barrier, you've gone to a beautiful seminar with Robert Kiyosaki, and you've really started these business principles and life goals that started to started to come to fruit. Yeah, what challenges have you seen that at that time coming to Australia apart from English? Apart from not having any money, what were the challenges that you, ever, that you really overcome? Was it loneliness? Was it a separation from your parents that you really had to overcome? What were the other challenges that you sort of faced? No,
1: I think that there was only one big challenge for me, is, was that I never had to worry about money in my life, right? In, in an Asian family, you never have to worry. My parents will kill themselves for you to have everything you need to have. And so I think that the respect of money, the value of money was something I had to learn. Back in those days, $150 uh, sweatshirt to whatever it takes to dress up. I went from having shirts that used to be $150 shirts in 1988 in Belgium, right? Fashionable. To sewing backwards my collar in order to use the shirt twice. So whenever the shirt started to wear out, you know... Around uh, uh, the
0: collar, uh, yep. yeah. Yeah.
1: I would actually undo the stitching and turn it around so that I could use <laughs> it I could use the other side. I never thought of that. That's a good
0: yeah. <laughs> I've done that. Well, well. So the, the respect of money, the learn. Now you had to learn to respect money, the That's use correct. of money to make it last longer, to go further. That's right. So you finished your school, you've gone to the course. What was your next step? What was the next progression from there? What what did you really start doing as a job? Because I know you got into insurance. No,
1: so after that, I went to work for my father-in-law. He, he was running a uh,
0: small goods factory. So let's just pause for a second. So the girlfriend that you had in Belgium is your current wife. You That's know. correct, yes. Beautiful Veronique. Yes. And you're blessed, mate. You're punching above your weight. We've spoken about that before. <laughs> but I can understand why you would come across halfway around the world to chase that beautiful lady. She was your girlfriend here, and now, now you're married? We were still dating. are oh, you just uh, dating, no, but you we started were. working for your future father-in-law? That is correct. Oh, yeah. okay. For you, and that was small
1: goods? Yes, it was, uh, it was small goods. He was delivering us uh, salami, hams, and pates to rest- restaurants and hotels around Sydney. And what was your job? I was actually the sales rep. And I think that the products were really way ahead of its time. I think it, had he started maybe 15 years later, he would have been filthy rich. But back in those days, people didn't understand that the goods was actually fresher when it was enclosed. To the cryovac bags. Yeah, Yeah, right. I sort of asked the uh, factory to just give me a slice of everything. I didn't want a photo. I wanted a slice of the real thing, but it had to be cryovac. And so I used to go out in, with, with an Esky just with those items. And I also found out that the biggest selling factor was that it was all natural. So all the spice were all natural. There was no preservatives in their product. And that's what I was selling. I was just selling that USB. and I was getting people to see that. And I still remember in my first week, I actually got them new clients every day. In that first week, I actually doubled the production in order. And
0: this is selling to restaurants? Selling cafes. to a cafe
1: and restaurant and okay. delis. Okay. Yeah. So you're
0: walking in with the live product, live, I mean fresh product, yeah. walking in and selling it. You found the USP, delivering it, and this is a, a sort of a natural uh, journey for you. You haven't been taught sales by anyone. No. It, it's something that you've worked out for themselves. Yeah. You're a bit of maybe a natural, natural salesman in there, obviously. No,
1: a natural survivor. Natu- okay. <laughs> now, I like
0: that. Natural survivor. I like it. So, and then... The orders went through the roof.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: So so why aren't we seeing Thomas Leo Wang small goods? I mean, why, why is it now? What happened to that part if you were doing so well with the small no, goods? No, so I, t-
1: I told my father-in-law, uh, I, I really didn't want to be in small goods, right? I wanted to have a job. And also at that point, I wanted to help them expand. And I told my father-in-law, I will expand your business within 12 months and, and then I'll be out of here. And so I did everything to um, expand the business. As a matter of fact, I created the entire line to the, the Blue Mountains. I wow. created uh, the line to the Hunter Valley wow. and down to Wollongong. I did all that in 12 months. And then because it wasn't really my interest, I, I really wanted to do something of my own. Yep. Uh, that was um, a time for me to leave. Okay,
0: When you left... Was there a thing set up so the business could still Yes, sort of
1: yes, yes. They, they got an, another sales rep in straight away. Oh, wonderful. And, and he took over from there.
0: Okay. So from there, where, where to
1: next? From there, I went into insurance. Okay. Mind you, by now, I also enrolled to study psychology. Okay. So you're doing that part-time? I was doing psychology part-time.
0: And, and is that, I was working full-time, yeah. Okay. is that was correspondence or were you going… No, no,
1: no. I was at Macquarie University. Okay. I still remember. Um, at first, they rejected me. And I went in to see the dean. First I had the appointment, and, uh, and then I said to the dean, hey, listen, you can either reject me, which will only push me to go and, and, and look for a position somewhere else, yep. or you can really embrace me. But I wouldn't be here wasting my time with you if I didn't think that I was going to be doing very well in psychology. And within 24 hours, I got the okay, come and study at
0: Macquarie University. Okay. So that course part-time was how long?
1: Man, to become a psychologist full-time, it was five years, right? So I was doing it part-time. It meant it was going to be a long, long time because I was only doing a few credits um, every semester. Semesters, yeah. Yeah, right.
0: So it was going to be a long journey.
1: Yes, but then uh, it's a funny thing because as much as I fought for this, I actually quit after having done three years of psychology. My dad, I I, I finished all the 100 credits, I I, I was well into the 200 credits, starting some 300 already. So I was actually pretty far. But I wasn't interested anymore. I had done stats one, stats two, stats three. But I was not interested in the study of the norm. You know, right. in psychology, it's all about the ghost curve. And what you want to do is study the 95% of people who actually fit the uh, equation. Right. You were not interested in the top few percentage of crazy
0: people. They weren't giving you what you were thirsting
1: for. Yes, and I wanted to know what the crazy people were doing, like the top guys. Like, why Richard are Richard Branson, are
0: they, why is Richard Branson the way he is? is yeah why yes. such and such, understand. And you couldn't get that from that study. No. But it took you three years to work that out, that that was not going to be within that course. That is
1: correct. However, it gave me an understanding into the human psyche. Right. That's where
0: I really started to love the mechanics of thinking. Right. So the thirst for the human knowledge, for the human behaviour yeah. was there. But then when you wanted to find out that top 5%, 2%, you had to go further for that. Yes, I, I know and uh, I probably a lot of others or I know a lot of others know that you'd love to read. You absolutely advocate on Einstein saying that read an hour a day in your chosen profession and you'll be in the top 1%. Within, uh, five years, yeah. Within five years. Within five years. How long have you read for for an hour
1: a day? When I met my second leader. So he was, uh, his name is
0: Alhurst. So who was your first? Sorry, who was your first?
1: My real first leader I would have to say Mum. Okay. She was the one who taught me a lot of good ethics without teaching. And, and that's the crazy part. Who taught me a lot about caring without teaching. The first teacher, really, I had here, and I call him as the second one in terms of mentorship, is Al Hurst, a tall black American guy he, uh, in insurance. He is probably the best salesperson I've ever
0: met. Okay. So you were doing psychology. And you were doing insurance selling selling at the same time? Uh, no, 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 no.
1: I actually did insurance first, and then I think I started psychology.
0: Okay, but was it simultaneously? Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so during that period, you've met Al. Yeah, and then he's told you to to read. Okay. And
1: he, he did it very well because up until that age, I never read anything else but uh, I think one book. And, and the reason I had to read that book was that the the teacher, over the past 30 years, that was the only book he read every year. Right. So he knew it by heart. Right. So I couldn't fool him. Otherwise, I fooled every other teacher in, in, in my, all my years. I, um, they used to ask you to write an essay on the book that you'd pick. I'd pick, obviously, a book that no teachers in their right mind would read. Yeah. And I'd read the first 10 pages, the last 10 pages, and make up like everything in between. I had good <laughs> good marks. And so I never liked reading because for me, it was a waste of time. Al knew exactly how to, to get you to fall in love with books because he would wake me up at 7 in the morning. He'd call me at home and he would say, man, I just read something It's almost better than sex and uh, I thought I'd better share it with you. And he would just read one or two paragraphs with me. In the way he was reading it, he w- was
0: making it life. He was living it, you know? And he, so he would ring you at home yeah. and then read these paragraphs mm. over the phone to you. Yeah. So here you are, <laughs> maybe having a coffee, half asleep. He starts reading these books to you. Yeah. Over the phone. Is this a, is this a daily ritual?
1: No, it wasn't daily. So he'd do it every night and then, right? Wow. So maybe once a week, next time, once a fortnight. He would always share. And then every meeting, he would always share some of the lines he was reading. Wow. Well. And that got me, and so the first book he asked me to read was Thinking, Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, and I w- and and he really tricked me very well because he said, <laughs> "You'll see, there's a there's a there's a key to success in the book, and Napoleon Hill actually says there's a key, All right? You you'll, you'll find it. I don't know where, but for uh, if each person, is going to be different. You'll find it. Man, I was so obsessed with finding the key. <laughs> I read the book looking for the <laughs> word key, you know." <laughs> And after the first time, I was so upset I couldn't find the key. I went through it again, <laughs> uh, but it was an ama- amazing, an amazing book. I think a great introduction to anyone who wants to start reading. Okay,
0: well that's actually good because that's a segue into one of my questions. But that's good. So Al's given you this thirst for knowledge. Yeah. Okay, and uh, so you're already doing the psychology together with the uh, insurance sailing. Yeah. And Al's now introduced to you this world of Personal improvement. Yes. Okay. You've taken off and you've run and you're doing well with insurance? Are you, are you yes,
1: yes, yes. So I was winning awards um, and I was in his company and I topped the uh, company at one stage too. And so he, he took me first class to the, to the snow just, wow. just to teach me that life's very short, that whatever you do, do it first class or don't do it. And, and I still remember he the, the, the stuff that he did was just crazy. You know, being picked up in limo, having the pilot talking to you and congratulate you when he was 10,000 feet in the air or things like having Dom Perignon champagne from the moment I left my apartment to the return trip. Wow. So Dom Perignon everywhere, in ev- every room, everything. I said to him, you know, why, why do you spend that much money on four or five days? And he said, young man, I want to learn one thing. I never want to see you come back here, all right? You'll do this place and this snow once. Next time that you do it, I want you to hate it. Next time you're going to do it, you're going to be saying, man, I don't have Don Perignon. Man, I don't have this. And you'll never want to come back. And I thought he was full of shit. Many years later, I went back. And he was absolutely right. Since then, I have not been back to Threadbow.
0: Because the experience didn't live up the second time That's right. in comparison to your first experience. That's right,
1: because he gave me first class. And the, the reason he wanted to, to teach me that is that life's way, way too big to redo things again.
0: Do it right the first time. Yeah. Whether you party or whether you relax or work, whatever it may be.
1: But he, the work ethics I had to learn from him was very tough. Wow. Like selling insurance, I had to study things by heart he could actually get in the middle of a, a line and he says, continue on that line. And if I was one word wrong, I had to redo it again. And we were made, drilled. We were, my colleagues and I, if we had a meeting with him at three o'clock and we were late, he locked the door on us. One guy, he actually wasn't late. He left his things on the, on the desk, but he picked up the phone because he had to talk to a client. That was the year when the first mobile phone was out. So we all had those big bricks, Nokia bricks <laughs> or NEC. And he got locked out. When he reopened the door, he said, next week, young man, lunch is on you. Anyway, we thought, ah, well, you know, lunch, that's cool, you know, it's fun. We were making money, so we were having a bit of fun. Well, Al had called the place and told them to put aside some bottles of Dom Perignon. That lunch was so expensive, but nobody wanted to be late afterwards. (laughs) But But I had learned, you know, whatever you tell Al, whatever he says to do,
0: don't question. Now I know where you get it from. (laughs) <laughs> so, insurance salesman, you're winning awards. Uh, have we, have, have we married it yet? Have we gotten? Have you finally put a ring on it? What's no,
1: no, 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 no. Um, I think that um, when I told Al that I was going to marry uh, Veronique he believes in single life, so that you can dedicate your entire life to work. He asked me where I wanted to go. He was ready to shout me one way ticket, never come back.
0: That's so the next question: is that your yeah, values weren't aligned from that point forward? that's correct and yes. prior to that they were
1: well no maybe prior to that they weren't there was not much that you would want to ask of a teacher
0: you you just follow okay so then you went your separate ways yes because you were gonna you said you were gonna marry Veronique what was next
1: I opened my own um, business and it was an investment business in, into real estate. Okay. So I used to take people from Sydney and fly with them up the Gold Coast, Okay. drive them around for the day and
0: then sell them a house before we flew them back. So you're a real estate agent, you started real estate? Yeah. Okay, so uh, into their self-managed super funds or just investment properties? Yeah, well, or? that's correct. Okay, yeah. all right. And how long were you doing that for? You had your own business, you were doing uh, that for- Probably a year. A year, and- And then
1: I, I didn't really like it because uh, I was so exhausted one night that I actually crashed on the way to the airport. I had a high car and I lost it. I woke up in at two o'clock in the morning, we had come back from the casino where I was celebrating with a client after he had bought a, a, a good property. And so uh, I fell asleep on the wheel. The car, lost it, went into the, uh, the side of the road and- s-
0: Slit for about maybe over 500 meters.
1: Wow! That's when I realized now I, I can't keep
0: on doing this. This this is crazy. So you're making good money selling these properties in Queensland. Was it just in Queensland, or just it in Queensland? Just in Queensland. Oh, yeah. So you'd fly New South Welshman up there, sell them a property, fly back, yeah. and they just become too much for 12 yeah. months. Yeah. You just had a bit of um, I want of a better word burnout. Let's say. Just couldn't keep up the hours. Yes,
1: and also I I, I had a baby girl, and so, you know, it it became now uh, different. Before that, you look after
0: yourself. You only have your own skin,
1: and now you have a child. And so uh, that was time to ask yourself different questions.
0: Okay, so now you, you decide to stay in real estate? And I like this story because I've heard this story a few times, but you decide to stay in real estate. You yes, wanted that's to get correct. a job. Yep. And I believe it was John Lewis you walked into the office. Oh,
1: so I opened a real estate business. Okay, I go. got married then. I got yeah, married. You, so you after married. I had a child, I yep. got
0: married. So we had the child then got married? Yes, that's Wonderful.
1: Yeah. And then I opened a real estate business with my father-in-law okay. in Castle Hill. Okay,
0: right. I didn't know this.
1: Yeah, so we were selling houses in Castle Hill. I was doing that for
0: about a year until my brother had leukemia. Right. This is when you get the call from dad. That's right. And dad says, your brother's not well. Tell us more.
1: No, so, so they, they told me he had leukemia. That's when I think my entire life changed. That okay. was probably one of the biggest clicks in my life. That's when I realized that money was not that important. That if you can leave this planet at any point in time, let alone when you're just 25, then really every day should be a bonus. And money should not be the reason you work for should be working for the betterment of people i had to go through a series of tests out of my entire list of siblings i was the only one compatible of course you were the lesson was for me man i I think that when cancer hits someone it actually hits them maybe mentally and physically but it definitely hits the entire family mentally right so cancer doesn't just hit someone alone it hits the entire tribe you know and so the lesson was very big for me. One, my life became something valuable only after I gave marrow. It, it's how stupid that is, but that, that's how it was in, 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 in my head.
0: Doing those tests, were those tests in Australia or did you have to go yeah, to the Belgium? Yeah, fir- the first
1: set of tests was in Australia.
0: To see the compa- comp- yeah. compatibility. Yeah. Okay. So we find out we're compatible. Yeah. And then it was a decision, I've, I've got to go and help my brother.
1: Oh yeah, you had no choice. He was already, uh, immediately he's waiting because I think he had um, lymphoblastic leukaemia. So that was one of the most ferocious form of leukaemia. So it had to happen very quickly. So here I'm in business with my father-in-law. We're plodding along, selling here and there. And now I have to go. And so there was no question asked. You know, your brother's life is on the line. You go. It was bad for the business because I was a big contributor to the business.
0: So you had to leave your father-in-law. You had to leave your new baby. Yeah, and your beautiful wife—you had to leave them in Australia. Yep, you had to. Jump Who was pregnant with our second with one? With the second one, <laughs> yeah. Well, wow. so she's now pregnant with the second one. Got how old was the first then? How old was Charlotte? Probably then? a year and, wow. and a bit. Yeah. Okay, um, and had to leave your father-in-law's business where you were the main contributor. Jump on a plane because your brother needed you. Yeah, what was going through your head? Were you torn at that time, and saying? I, 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 my family needs me and the business needs me but so does my family in the other side of Belgium or was it a simple decision to move? No to it's a, it
1: was a very simple one. Okay
0: jump on the plane and let's yeah, get there.
1: Business you can redo it. I knew that Veronique could really fend herself yep. you know with Charlotte. They needed my blood. Yep. It was not even a, it was no-brainer you know okay. plus I thought it was just
0: going to be a few days. So how long did it end up being? Uh, six weeks. okay. And that process, was that all hospitalisation? Was that a, uh, a getting you ready for the procedure or was it staying with your brother to help him through the, the treatment? Tell us a bit about that.
1: Uh, well, it was a lot of testing. I mean, for a guy that hated blood, I, I've seen my share of blood. 47 test tubes of blood has been taken out of me because they wanted to make sure that my blood was pure. Right. After that... It was the operation. In the operation was mainly for me, not for him. He he was cool. He just received it through a uh, intravenous. Yeah, drip. right. However, after a few days, he starting having a bit of a rejection, and that's when they kept me because of the rejection. He wasn't making platelets. so. He started bleeding. The uh, doctors were really fearing the worst: the hemorrhages and things like this, you know. And so I had to stay back and go to the hospital every second or third day just to give him my platelets this time. Wow and I had to wait until it was all stabilized before I
0: could fly back. I can imagine during this process, they would have been quite concerned about your health at that time as well, making sure that you're well looked after and, and so forth and, and nourished, would that be right?
1: Yeah, that's correct, but um, I, I was also a guinea pig because back in those days, they wouldn't do that. They didn't do that. Back in those days, if you had anesthetics in your bloodstream, they wouldn't want to play with your blood and put it in the patient, but they had no choice. It was that or he was gonna bleed to death. Yeah, right. So they took the risk of taking that the, the platelets and injecting in him with a little bit of that anesthetics that I had in my blood. Okay.
0: So you've 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 given your, your marrow and the platelets and yeah. your brothers working through this this leukemia. Yeah. And I know there's a story that you tell of being in that ward, he's in a ward of a with six, six other patients. people, yeah. But yeah six altogether right. or is yeah. it I think six other people. Tell us the process, because I know that you were there for that a long time and you got to speak to a lot of these people. Yeah,
1: I spoke to all of them.
0: And so we're talking about people who understand that this is more than likely the end of my life.
1: Yeah, that's correct. Actually, as a matter of fact, they all died.
0: And your brother was the only one? The only
1: one who survived.
0: So on you, what, it might sound a little bit of like a selfish question, what did you take from that? That with those people, did you again see the value in your life?
1: The saddest memory is that I spoke to a 14-year-old Italian young girl. And I think it was the worst because I could see a a young girl who was about to start life. I could see her being a bit because she's naive, because she's young. She'd believe all the things that people tell her. And I said, don't you believe whatever the doctor's telling you? Even if you get something a bit negative, you have a chance to fight. And so I was trying to prepare her for a fight. But I I found out afterwards uh, she passed away after after the age of 17. Wow,
0: okay. Just going off track here for a second, do you think that maybe hospitals or those people who are at that point in their life need more people to talk into their life about, don't listen to the crap, you listen to the good, you are going to pull through. Do you think that needs to be more of a mind game for them rather than a health game?
1: Yeah, I think that every disease is a mind game unless you walk right into an x-ray machine or something that's really going to damage you, you know. I, I think that everything, every illness has got both a software component and a hardware component. Yeah, right. There is a mental side and then there is blood that is cancerous, a blood that is cancerous. So there is a physical side to attend to.
0: Okay, awesome. Now, your brother improves your brother absolutely and it, it you're back you're back in australia within six weeks what's his recovery time what i mean obviously he's not up doing marathons in six weeks I no
1: mean. no 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 i think he was in there for about two or three months okay. and then he had to go home and stay indoor for another three months so really you're not out of cancer un- until the fifth year right they always say you have five years remission so it was really counting the five years you know
0: when you went back, that was the first time you had been back to Belgium since you had left. No, that's not correct, no. No? No, no. So you had been back to Belgium for a holiday in between that yeah. and so forth. Okay, all right. Yeah. And when you went back, did you feel a, a tighter connection because your family was – you were their last hope, basically. Did, was the family so grateful that you were there? Yeah. Was there a – Yeah,
1: it was really a lot of uh, love. I think that when there is no issue – We create crap. But then when he had cancer, we all put our differences aside. And and that was an amazing thing because um, everything was about love. And and I think that that's really um, when I enjoyed that human connection the most because there was no more hidden agenda. There was no more running after something that had no meaning tomorrow. That was beautiful, man.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So then six weeks, you say goodbye to the family back to your little girl that would have grown up a bit and uh, a yeah, wife right. that would have... Uh, that was, well, about <laughs> was about to pop. I was about to give birth. Okay, there we go. And um, the business, so what? Back straight back into the business or...
1: No, that, so I had made the decision then that I was not going to come
0: back. I'll go back into the business. Okay. Yes.
1: And so I decided, well, I have no cash really to start my own thing now. And I needed cash. I couldn't pay my upcoming rent. Mind you, I had borrowed for some beautiful friends, some Vietnamese friends, um, before I had left. And so I decided now it's time to go and look for position. That's when I went to John
0: Lewis. Okay, so that's the story that I was saying before. I yes. just want to go back a second. So, um, and we're talking about highs and lows, and some of the story that you're telling this is the first time I've heard it. And obviously, so you were in the insurance, making a lot of money.
1: But spending a lot of spending money. Spending too, a lot
0: of yeah. money. So you still don't have that the financial wisdom that you needed?
1: No, I had the best bar for a uh, 22-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have friends who, who would talk to my uh, in-laws and say, how
0: does he manage his money? I, I used to put crazy parties. Okay, so you used to spend it as quick as you made it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, didn't save for the future. No. Um, now, now your brother needs you straight away, and you're short of money. That's correct. So you go and find some beautiful friends that could front you some money. Yep. You go and help your brother. You help your family. Come back, and now you're in debt with yep. a little bit less marrow, yep. but uh, full of love. That's right. And you've got uh, a how old Charlotte? One, one, one and a half. half. Yep. And you've got one just about the pop, yep. and a beautiful wife, and you're in debt now it's time to go get a job at john Lewis. that's great and i love the story that you walk in you tell it from here, you walk in and there's a position.
1: No, well, listen, I I, uh, I looked at the paper and his ad was right on the front page, on the top right-hand side. And so I thought, man, if the guy puts an ad on the front page, he badly wants people. I um, So I went to him first on Thompson's Corner. He asked me for an appointment. I thought I was going to um, wow him by um, picking the earliest time possible. So I turned up for the 7.30 appointment and I was there already at 7 because I wanted to be there before him. And so we started having a good conversation and I thought, no, no, I need the job now i just landed the
0: day before you know
1: and so i said to him landed
0: back from belgium from belgium yeah so you've landed yeah seen the ad next morning you're there, I'm there. A, yeah yeah
1: i thought i'm gonna have to get this job now otherwise i can't pay the the, the rent that's coming up and so i said to, who's the best you have here and he said, um, well, that's my son, Andrew. He's, um, and he, he pointed at the board and he showed me the target he was going for. And he was going for four listings that month. And so I said to John, in my first month, I will double his figures. John was impressed with this. And afterwards, he put me a second hurdle. He said, no, I, I belong to a system. And we, we go through a heavy recruitment drive before we give someone a position. I'm thinking, oh, no, I, I can't wait. So he said, we have another guy that has gone through the three months of preparation. Now he's about ready to come out and and join us. And now suddenly you you just drop in and you want a job now. I said, no. I said, John, do you think I could do the job for you? He said, yes. Even if you only did half of what you claimed you could do, I'd be more than happy. So I said, what about that guy that's about to graduate? Do you think he can beat me? He said, "Um, I'm not sure. I said, John, I raised my case. You've got your answer, right? Then came the third hurdle. Uh, John now said to me, listen, I'm not going to make a decision now. We are Friday. Uh, so I will call you on Monday and let you know of my decision. Yep. And so I did, listen, I did enough in insurance. And I, I reckon I, all my sales skills I learned from the insurance days. And I said to myself, no, nah, I'm not walking on his term. So I said to John, listen, John, don't take this bad. I just landed from my brother's leukemia, and I need a job. So on Monday, if you haven't called me back by 9 o'clock in the morning, I'll take it as a no. So don't, don't take this bad. I, I just <laughs> want to make sure we understand each other. And as soon as I take it as a no, I will be door knocking next door.
0: Your competition.
1: All right. Man, <laughs> I drove out of the car park, drove only 500 meters, and he called me back. That's how I got my first yeah, job awesome.
0: in real estate with John. And then, so you were with John Lewis for how long? Seven years. Seven years. And in that time, you broke all the figures, you stole people's lunches out of the fridge. uh, Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, well,
1: I didn't have the money, so I had to eat something. And so uh, I couldn't find anything better but eating other people's lunch. Did you double his figures in that first month? In that first month, I did eight exclusive listings. And was that double... That was double his figures. Yeah. I was too scared of losing the job, man. I w- listen, I was so scared of losing the job that when Veronique was in hospital delivering Alexander, I was packing it and I was thinking, I'd, this kid better pop out before nine o'clock. It was a Sunday. I said to myself, I have to go to work. And I think I did not enjoy that delivery at all because I was so stressed about having to tell John when I fir- I just started with him in two weeks. I think I was about to tell him that I was not going to be there on the on, on a Sunday, a sales day, around 9 o'clock, the baby wasn't out yet. I picked up the phone. Reluctantly, I picked up the phone, and I spoke to John, uh, and I apologized. And John was beautiful. He said, mate, just don't, don't even turn up, okay? You make sure that you're there for your wife and the baby. And I was so relieved, I fell asleep. I almost missed his birth. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, Amazing. There was
1: a sense of duty and and I think that, you know, a lot of those things, people these days probably would listen and say, man, I I wouldn't do that. But thank God I did because I don't think that I'd be doing what I do today if it wasn't for all of those qualities I had to build over
0: the years, you know? Yeah, okay. And so seven years in John Lewis, tell us about a bit of your accomplishments in that time. Well, I
1: um I became his sales manager. How and how quickly did that happen? Uh, about a year and a half into it, uh, I became a manager in training. His son was supposed to be the manager, but uh, I had a bit of an altercation with his son, so I, I decided I was going to be highly competitive and take his position. And I became the uh, manager uh, for John. Then also I became the uh, I won an award as the sales manager of the year for the uh, organization. Back in those days, it was the largest one in Australia. Right, it was training. Well over 350 offices. Wow. I won the first sales manager of the year ever that they had. Uh, Apparently, uh, my name's been scratched since, but that's another story. Um, (laughs) My best month in in real estate with John, I did uh, 19 exclusive listings out of 20 presentations in a month.
0: And I believe you did get the 20th.
1: I got the 20th, but it was only counting for the following month because (laughs) uh, it wasn't in.
0: (laughs) What brought it to a close at John Lou's? I mean, I know he got sick.
1: He got sick. He got cancer.
0: And uh, you tell a story of, and it's a it's a beautiful story. I love this story. You got called in one day. Yeah, uh,
1: I got called in because he wanted to give me half of his business. I sort of didn't really want it. But he said, you know, no, 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 no. I want you to have uh, half of my business. So he said, just come down to Parmaras. I'll, I'll have my uh, accountant to go through the papers and then we can do this. I didn't really feel comfortable because I'm not really into papers, you know. <laughs> I'm more handshake. just... Talk to me, and then and then we go from there. So I asked Veronique to come with me because I wanted someone like her to be around. by, by then she's a lawyer, you know. It's a bit of safe, so. Thank God I turned up with her because there was three lawyers and two accountants, and John. I would have been alone against all of these people. And here we're sitting down and the accountant, he's opening his mouth and saying things like, I don't know why John's doing this. It's unheard of. And all my years of practice, no one has ever given 50% of a business that is making the kind of money it's making. He kept on going on with this line of conversation. so That pissed me off. And It was the 19th of March. So I stopped him. I said, listen, today is my daughter's birthday and I'm sitting around listening to you, talking to me as if I am the one still from John Lewis. I said, I don't need this, I'm out of here. So I ran out, John ran after me and said, No, 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 Thomas, forget what he just said, come in, just sign this thing so that you can have this and then I can just go and do my things. So I said to John, Why do you want me to have 50% of your business that bad? So he said, With my cancer, they only give me three years and I just want to go out there and enjoy a bit of life. Wow. I said, John, you don't have to give me the business. Give me a bit of paper now. So I wrote on a bit of paper I, Thomas Lee will stay with you for a period of up to three years while you're enjoying life. <laughs> and I signed. I said, Here you go, John. Now let me go and celebrate my daughter's birthday. So Veronique and I, we left empty handed, but I was happy. Happy that somewhere I didn't take advantage of him. Yeah. Because that, that was something that bugged me. Yeah. And somewhere
0: where I truly believe that even though it was a gift, the gift must first sit well with you. It come with strings attached, and it wasn't truly a gift, it was more of a bribe for you to stay where you would have stayed anyway.
1: Yes, but on the other hand, I really wanted a man to enjoy his last three years. Absolutely. So, even if he had asked me to do that, even without a paper, I'd probably never have left him.
0: So, he managed to enjoy that time he had left?
1: Oh, yeah. And and I think that that's the beginning of some of the mistakes, because I was a young manager. I was a two-year-old manager. So, a baby in the world of management. I think he left a lot of management decisions to me. He would go to the Simpson Desert and do the crossing and would leave six months at a time. I wouldn't even talk to him for months. You know? Wow, wow. Yeah, there's been a few mistakes, I, I, I have to say.
0: So, you, two years as a manager, thrown in the deep end to now run an office. And the, the office, what, what's, how many sales are doing a year or how many salespeople did you have? Was it? Oh,
1: I think we, we had seven salespeople. Seven, okay. Uh, we were doing probably um, 20, 24 sales a month. Wow. Th- 30 out
0: listings, 35 a month. Wow, yeah. It's good figures. Mm. Um, and you were how old at that time? I was 30. Okay. Um, so making a lot of decisions for someone else's business. Yeah. Uh, so you obviously made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. And But you've learnt from those mistakes.
1: Well, some you learn, some you do it again. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and get a second chance to learn. Some you do it again, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. At what time did we did you leave John Lewis? At what stage was 2000. it? 2000. Okay. Yeah, 2000. And had John passed and had the, had the business gone to his son or...? No, 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 no.
1: There was, there was some, something silly. By, by now, uh, John was really desperate to get out of the business. So he wanted to sell the business and he wanted me to now take over. That's not what I wanted. I, by then, I had my own dreams I wanted to go for. So, you know, after a little while selling a house to a homeowner, it's not what gives me the, uh, the, the, the excitement anymore. I really had learned over the years of management that the excitement, I got it from training people. Because as I became the sales manager of the year, the organization, the training organization started to send me here and there to help some offices. Then other offices started to come for help. And that really gave me a good vibe. Whenever I'd walk out and I had changed the room, that's hence the dream of now training other offices came into my life. There were a few things that were done badly. Anyway, I had to go.
0: So you you left John Lewis in 2000? Yeah. And... Straight into Wisebury or was there a period no. there? Or no, I started training. Synergy first?
1: I actually no, I actually was going to walk out of uh, real estate.
0: You were going to leave real estate altogether? Yeah,
1: I, I felt pretty bad about it. I, I felt that I, if the industry was going to be like this with people who were sharks, I didn't need to be there.
0: You were going to leave the industry altogether mm-hmm. and go in and start training? Yeah. Just start training all salespeople?
1: No, I wasn't even thinking about training.
0: I was about to just walk away from the whole lot. Okay. And did you have an idea on what you wanted to do?
1: No, I I still remember sitting in the backyard for two weeks,
0: highly depressed.
1: When you have put seven years into a business and you have also decided to push back your goals to help someone and then certain people like really sabotage everything so that they could have their own agenda, I had nothing left. Yeah. So it was as if I was being uprooted, if you will. I thought it was unfair. I, I thought everything. Man, I, I didn't even know what I was going to do. I mean, after seven years here, what do I do now? Do I restart? Yep. So I had so many questions. But then within two weeks, something competitive came into me. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to show these guys what I'm made of. They were in training. I'm going to train too. And I'm going to show them that I can train too. And that's how I got my uh, second life to real estate.
0: Okay. And again, back into that competitive nature. Yeah. That fight for it. That fuck you sort of moment. Yeah. So it's two weeks, you know, the pits of depression and you're lifting yourself out of it. What's the thought process from there is it i'm gonna open i'm gonna do real estate training or is it now i need to work out what training i'm going to do or? no no
1: i'm gonna do real estate training that's all i knew real estate was uh, everything i knew but then i was walking in Lenkov uh, with my wife one day when a leader of the organization came out from his office and he said thomas what are you doing we started having a chat and I said oh, man, i'm not doing anything you know And he said, mate, get out of retirement. I need you in my office. I don't care what happened and what what those guys in training said. I want you in my office. I couldn't work with the guy. It was nice of him. And I said, no, 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 don't worry about it. So I went home. And as I got home, another leader gave me a call and said, Thomas, I, I just heard that um, blah, 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 you're available. I said, no, I'm not available. I'm not <laughs> going anywhere. I'm going to do my own training. And he said, hey, listen, my business is in trouble. I just need your help. If you can just give me a few months of your life and help me. And I thought, what do I do? Do I start now with my dream or uh, do I just go and, and help someone? I decided to put my dreams on, um, on a back burner and I went to help this guy in Castle Hill.
0: How long were you there for?
1: I said to him, I'll give you six months. And and within six months, I will help you turn your business around. He was actually a few weeks from closing its doors. And I had to recruit everyone. I I still remember the first day I walked into his office, I said uh, to his team, listen, Club Met's finished now. All the palm trees been removed from the premises as (laughs) I speak. So here's going to happen. We're going to all work very hard here now. Right, Those holiday makers can now leave. But the ones that are going to stay, going to work hard, I'm going to promise you one thing. I'm going to make money for you. And so I had to do a full recruiting drive. I think we put through something like almost uh, 80 people through the course. We, we had 300 people turning up at our recruiting drive. So we put through almost 80 people after interviewing. So you imagine the number of interviews, mate. Back in those days, so I did the, uh, the training. First group was uh, five days a week, uh, nine to 12. Second group... One to four, then the last one, five to eight, you know. And out of that, I built a team of seven people for my mate.
0: From 300 down to seven, the cream of the crop. That's yes. No, people. no,
1: I had a few more. Okay. Um, but then I sold them to other offices. Okay. In, yeah. Okay. I sold them. So, for example, one guy I sold to an office uh, in Dromoy, 500 bucks a month they were paying me. As long as the guy was there, they yep. paid me. So, man, I, I thought, yeah, here you go. This, this is how you start doing some of these things. And I kept uh, the, the ones that were really good, um, that I really like around me. I had a lady who used to live in Camden, totally moved up to Castle Hill
0: just because she wanted to work around. So when you say you, you picked the ones that you liked, was it more than just skill? Was it their values that you can see? Was it their culture, cultural alignment that you could see as well?
1: Yeah, I, I think you try, you try. But uh, back in those days, I wasn't as good in, in terms of picking values. And so uh, I was more or less looking at the uh, location. If someone was going to be down south, there was no point for them to drive here. They were going to kill themselves. Yeah, right. And so those people, even though I loved them, like the guy I put in in, uh, in Dromoy, I really liked the guy, but it, it, he was way too far for me. I, I picked the ones that were really living around us. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. And when you walked into that trading room that day and you said, you know, uh, palm med whatever it is is on club meds, palm med's closed yeah palm trees removed now we are got to work hard yeah what's work hard
1: work hard for me is whatever time you give a business it's 100% to the business there is no such thing as picking up the phone and talking to a friend during those hours that's all we do I didn't want them to work long hours I want them to just give me 100% of that time
0: you tell a story that. When, at, during those times and during you, you being in real estate, if you saw a phone call from Veronique, you thought the world had ended because she never calls you at work.
1: That's correct. Yes, Veronique and I, we, we, we had a very good understanding. Call me if there is really a problem or something happened to the kids. Otherwise, I'm out here trying to make a living so I can bring the bacon home to the
0: family. Let me work. Yeah, wow. Well. Okay. And do you think a lot of that needs to be stilled into a lot of people these days? Do you think a lot of that attitude may, should be taken <laughs> up?
1: Yes and no. No, because they, they become too competitive. They do very well then. So I, I, But <laughs> no, because I think today it's a different, different age. Okay. I think that back in my days, we didn't have Facebook, not even those iPhone, or, you know. Yeah. Back in those days, man, if I had a pager, I was very advanced. Yeah, Right? Right. And so we, we, we didn't have the distractions of today. I think that it's unfair probably to say that the people of today should learn certain things because the people of today are living a different time. They're living with maybe four or five apps on social media that they have to respond to. Back in my days, you, you take a photo, if the photo is going to come out nice, you'll know, because when you develop, it'll tell you. Right. These days, they spend more time thinking about the filters they're going to put on the photo. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. It's a very different mindset. But, okay, it's a different mindset. It, there's, there's more distractions. There's yes. more distractions. However, if they had the understanding that those distractions are actually helping them fail or leading them to have to spend more hours at work or not being as effective,
1: If they do, then maybe they only relive the years the way I lived. I think that what they had to do is to do the best they can with what they have. You can't cancel the social media or you can't cancel the the, the the speed of technology. So they have to live with that, not become prisoner, but know how to use it yeah, okay. to make
0: technology become their prisoner or their slaves. Right. All right. So getting back on track. Sorry, yeah. we're getting back on track. So six months, you went and bailed your friend out. Yeah. Uh, you got his business, I believe.
1: The last month when uh, I left, he made $270,000 profit, the, in profit the month,
0: for himself. For that month. For that month. Beautiful. Yeah. And he, and he took your advice and from there it flew forward. I hope the business continues Yes, absolutely.
1: To... The, the um, he, he went on his own and I went on to my own training.
0: Okay. And is that the, when we created Synergy First? That's when we created Synergy First. Wow. Okay. So Synergy First was created what year?
1: 2002.
0: Okay. Who are the first people that come in as real estate? Because what was the whole concept of Synergy First? What, what did you want to do?
1: Well, I wanted to be the training wing to a real estate office. I really wanted to save them time from having to recruit, having to train people. That's where a loss of income happens in the business. A leader starts and thinks he can do everything. And yes, he can do everything. But does he do everything? Does Henry Ford, when he builds a car, handle everything from the paint to the cylinder? No, he's got people. And he's got people to train those people and he's got other things. And so I think the, the idea was that the synergy between the office and our organization has to be first. If you do that, you will bring high profit.
0: Okay. So who were your first customers?
1: Obviously, my, that, that mate of mine, Castle Hill, was my first customer. Robert was in the first batch too. So I've known him for quite a while. I think we grew up to a very large organization very quickly.
0: They were sending you their recruits. Yeah, you were training them. yeah getting to pass a course, and then if they passed, they go back to their leader and yeah. they start their career. That's correct. And it's fairly much what you're doing today. You just got a lot better at it. Yeah. In that time from its inception, uh, from the start of Synergy First to when you really turned it over to Wiseberry, has your vis- vision been fulfilled from its conception?
1: No. I have to say no.
0: Wow. Why? Because I
1: I think with uh, Wiseberry, I I wanted to – we're talking about Wiseberry, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So
0: you've changed the journey, yeah. Yeah.
1: So uh, I wanted to build something that
0: looks after the salespeople. And
1: and I, I don't think I have succeeded
0: yet. Okay. Still a work in progress. Yes. So you're still there behind the scenes going, how can I improve this? How can I mold this? How can I help these guys? Yeah,
1: I, I think that the model of real estate, the way it's working for the moment, is is wrong. Okay. The reason I left actually Synergy first and I knew I had to cancel it was that I can't see the value of grooming people up and instilling them with the right values and asking them to give the best of themselves if a leader doesn't want to improve himself. Yeah, right. There's no point having great people in the hands of a rat-back who doesn't change. The rat will just crucify them. And so after many years of seeing good people leave the office or leave the industry, I really became frustrated. That's when Wernicke and I sat down and decided we need to do something where we can really give people who are around us something totally different to just sell, get a wage, and you're only getting paid and being kept as long as you
0: perform. Okay, so Synergy First was the model that unfortunately you couldn't change the leader's perception? and but you were delivering them these beautiful people these great sales sales people some of the leaders were destroying these people yes absolutely so then we've moved into the Wisebury franchise yep. and uh, you've created the Wisebury name the selection criteria for the people that you invited into the franchise was that then someone that you knew had those values those cultural alignments that you were looking for to help those sales people succeed
1: yes it was very important for me to just make sure that we had the right leaders the interview or the selection of leaders for me was taking more energy from me than actually any recruits I ever put into an office. The first two really that have given me the um, impetus into building Wisebury was Oscar Montes and Darren Butcher.
0: Yeah, Was it more draining interviewing or selecting those leaders because you felt it's so important for these people to be the right fit?
1: Oh, yeah. Listen, for a long time, people were asking me, why don't you just start your own franchise? I rejected it. Why do I do something the same as the rest of the bunch and give them a name? But when I see good people leave the industry because their boss didn't pay them their commission or their boss lied to them or their boss told them to do the wrong thing, I thought, I'm not going back there. In 2000, something happened to me that I had to leave an office. Yeah. I didn't want that to happen to anybody else. Yeah. Wiseberry has got very strict rule of conduct and we're not perfect. On the grand scale of things, the grand scheme, I had to say there are two things that really happen in, inside Weisbury. I don't think that our clients really realise how lucky they are to have a guy like me overseeing them. Because if my father had punished me all these years for o- overseeing my brothers and sisters, these people, as soon as they have a bit of a flu, I'm around them like a pest trying to find out a solution. I don't know whether you've seen the movie The Blind Side.
0: The young American footballer?
1: That footballer actually scored very high on protection. I think that I would score, score very high. Yep. That is something that, that I have brought to Wiseberry that has enriched Wiseberry way beyond other things. And the second thing is my drive to always improve, to constantly be a better person, a better version of myself than I was yesterday. And I'm, and I'm still full of faults, you know, so I have a long way to go. But that drive, that mindset makes it that our group, no matter how many faults or how many weaknesses we have, because of that software of inner improvement or self-improvement, we are constantly thriving to become a better person and that flows down to our
0: organization we all know how much you care about the people around you and sometimes f- to the detriment of your own health and uh, we've had conversations about that in the past i, I want to touch on it just real quickly i know there's a lot of other franchises out there that'll prostitute them to anyone who wants to open an office right um, and i know you are totally the opposite uh, to the stage where it's a, it's a phone call if you don't get the right feel over the phone. Tell me about it, your thro- thought process. And I think a lot of that answer was in that last statement you made. But tell us a little bit about that. If someone wants to come into the franchise now to open up, yes, what do you look at? I
1: look at their drive and I look whether they can sell. Because if you can't sell yourself to a your team member, then you shouldn't be leading. And I also look at the drive. You, you have to be someone who's ready to work whatever, and do whatever it takes. Then I look at their value. If they have bad values, that's the end. Al always told me a line. He said, you can hide from a thief, but you can't do anything with a liar. What he was trying to say to me was, if you can't find people with the right values, whatever business you do with them will always come to nothing in the end. But if you find someone with a great set of values, teaching them to do other things, if they have the seed of selling that's a cinch
0: what hurdles have you overcome recently within the group have you have any challenges or have you had any victories that you want to share with <coughs> us recently and
1: there's there's always many challenges you know i i deal with challenges all probably almost every day and i think the the biggest challenge is We live in a world where money, our commission, is way bigger than our salary. So a lot of people, for the sake of getting more commission, will sometimes park their values on the side way of the road in order to get to their goal and then pick up their values after that. The biggest challenge is to really teach our people that under no circumstances, money should become our temporary master or our permanent master's. And, and that's a difficult thing to do. So sometimes I, I sit there and I have to say, sometimes I feel the, the burden of such a quest is huge because the minute that you give yourself as a slave to money, he will come back and claim it whenever there's too much pressure. Yeah. And straight away I see good people who will do nasty things. To me, if you can't really be the master of money, and there's plenty going around, I'm not interested in being around you.
0: Yeah, okay. The last question on wisebury I really have got for you is, what is your f- vision for Wisebury moving forward and have you set up a succession plan?
1: Well, I have not set up a succession plan uh, as per se. I have some kind of succession plan uh, in place, yes. But the, the plan is still a young plan, you, you can't say for sure that's where you're going. There, there's, there's a few tests that you must pass. For me, I think in Australia, you have to win people's, the, the public's trust. I will not quit until I got that. And that, if that means that we have to build our organization and remove the bad weeds as we go, we will do that. It's a funny thing. When you reach that percentage of the public that now knows that Wiseberry is synonymous of not striving to be the best, but striving to care the best they can, then I think we will have a huge wave of people because the caring factor is is very simple. Whilst some organizations thrive to look after the sellers or the buyers, I'm not. I want to look after our own people because if our people are happy, they will look after our clients and customers. The front line for me is my leaders. If I can look after my leaders and wake them up that they have the responsibility to look after their team then the team would deliver top
0: service. Fantastic. You think your goals have changed over the years as you've grown?
1: Goals always change. Everyone who goes on a vacation and says that I have done exactly everything the way I planned it, they're boring people. <laughs> right. Because they have not allowed the mind to be permeated by what's happening when they're there. You might say, I'm going to be here this morning, I'm going to do that museum in the afternoon, I'm going to eat that that night. But who's to say that in the afternoon something really happens and captures you? That you have not walked into a different restaurant, something that your heart clicks with.
0: It's taking the spontaneity. So you
1: have to be able to change your plans. So yes, I have goals, but the one thing that I don't want to
0: be prisoner of my goals. Yes, okay. Greatest strength, greatest weakness?
1: Oh, gee, tough question. I think my greatest strength is probably the loyalty. My loyalty to people are undying, sometimes stupid. By stupid, I mean by that sometimes people can hurt me and do things a hundred times and I'm still there. But I'm still there because, like my brothers and sisters have hurt me many times, I still have to be there to help them. Yeah. Right? right. So that's the mindset. And I think that my greatest weakness, probably not believing myself.
0: Believing in yourself? In myself, enough. That's probably another conversation for another time, but we, <laughs> we've we had conversations about that previously. Do you think that's instilled from earlier childhood and with the, how hard your father was on? With, yeah, I words?
1: think that no matter how hard I work, I think um, to that enough. I wasn't good enough. Okay.
0: Now, I'll, I want to touch quickly on you've written two books that I know of, apart from all your training manuals. You've got The Power of You, which is the journey your journey through your brother's um, uh, recuperation. Yeah. And you've got your latest one, which was Versailles. Vasee, oh, yeah. Sorry, Vasee. Uh, both excellent books. What's coming up next?
1: Vazi was the introduction of a salesperson, and the next book now is going to be The Salesperson Has Become a Leader.
0: Okay. And
1: so it's now the journey into leadership, or the way I see it, obviously. And then um, after that, he's going to start juggling business life, leadership, and family.
0: Okay. Okay. When will we expect that book?
1: Well, I have almost finished now the uh, the leadership one. But there are some things I'm not happy with, okay. so so I'm reworking some of it. I, I know that I got you to read the, the, the first copy of, a few the, months yeah, ago. I yeah? loved it, yeah. But then since then, I have changed the ending. I have actually chopped the ending by 30 pages and sent it into a different direction.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're looking forward to that. Okay. Three quick tips for a new real estate agent. For a new youngie, straight at the desk, phone, pass the training course, the three good solid tips
1: embrace something go out there and seek knowledge embrace it but then do it don't just embrace the part you like just do the entire thing you can't just say i'm going to build a ferrari but i don't like the steering wheel there's an old, there's an old
0: saying this is we're drowning in knowledge but starving for wisdom
1: oh wow okay
0: so take that knowledge and do something with it right yeah Tip one,
1: tip two? Tip two is make sure you have a mastermind group. And the mastermind group are not the people who are going to make you feel good every day. Yep. The mastermind group must be a bunch of people who are going to Stretch you every day. Yep. You have to know whether they stretch you because they want you to succeed, or they stretch you to destroy you. Once you know that they are there for you, don't question them again. Make sure that those mastermind group that you surround yourself are people who are in the industry that you want to do. So then you probably will have to submit yourself to them. And and, and in that respect, sometimes I I feel you have to be willing to give up a little bit of that freedom of yours, the freedom to do the bit you like. I always say to people, once you've succeeded, then you do whatever you like. But if you want to succeed, why not follow the guys who's done it before? Okay, and tip three... Tip three is always remain humble. I think that the ability to stay humble for me is that ability to stay grounded, to always remind yourself that you were nobody before you start this and this can be taken away from you at any point in time. And that along, okay. along the journey, if the only person you always stay, stay true to along the way is yourself, then whether this opportunity is taken away or not, you haven't lost too much.
0: Okay, so earlier you did mention a book, Think and Grow Rich. I'm going to about to ask you three books you recommend people read, three must-read books. So would we say number one would be thinking Great Rich?
1: Yes, I, I think uh, that should be read. I think that Awaken the Giant Within by Anthony Robbins sh- should be read. I think that there's books for everything, right? But the, the uh, that one there is very, very good. As a matter of fact, I read it seven times before I landed in Belgium and gave my brother marrow. I actually gave him the book. I asked him to read the book. Wow. That was an amazing book. So there's two oh man, there's so many books that I can pick, you know, so now trying to just put them in order, that's not fair.
0: A lot of the people, let's be honest, a lot of the people listening aren't avid readers. So those two books are fantastic books. So what's the first one that really comes that they'll get the probably the most out of?
1: I think that the um, Developing the Leader Within by John Maxwell is a very good book because we are all a leader of our life. Even if we don't have any children, we we don't have a family, we are still the leader of our life. And I think that that book is a must read. Now, the reason I say uh, it's number three, I I think that on equal part three, you probably would want to read Failing Forward by John Maxwell as well. If it wasn't for Failing Forward, I probably would have left this industry.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Yeah, it was um, a friend who worked in the uh, training organization that that dealt with me some heavy blows. He actually sent me the book. (laughs) So you imagine he worked around it. but he ended up being the person who sent me the book that saved my entire career. I think that that book, if it was for sale for $1,000,
0: it's worth every penny. I haven't read that one, so that'll be on my uh, Amazon list. Absolutely. Favorite movie?
1: Whoa, now you're talking about things I really like. The Last Samurai.
0: Oh, good movie, good movie. I thought you were going to say catch me if you can, but okay, No. Last Samurai, good movie. No,
1: The Last Samurai was all about destiny, was all about doing the best you could, all about virtues, maybe achieving the ultimate, not caring about your life. Uh, So there was a lot of things, all about embracing people who were your enemies so that you could make them into better human beings. Yeah, wow. I mean, there's so much in that, man.
0: All right, last two things. Best piece of advice that you've received?
1: Yeah, well, it was from Al, who said, you grow from two things, the books you read and the people you meet. If tonight you're not going to meet anyone worthwhile, sit down and let Carnegie talk to you. If it it was Dale Carnegie or Ledwell, you know, whoever. Whoever it may
0: be. Mm. Wonderful. And finally, best piece of advice that you've given or that you can give.
1: Listen, the best piece of advice is always a piece of advice that I don't do. That's That's a funny thing. For quite a while, my signature was love life because I wasn't loving life. and The signature was always there to try and remind me. And then I got to loving life and then I realized I wasn't living life. I think that my top thing is to tell people to live life. When I see my young children now living life, sometimes I have to say I'm jealous because they live in it. And and I think that that's the best piece of advice that you know I could give anyone because that's the advice I'm trying to live myself—to live life, to just live life. We we don't live life. Most of us we we live our past. We live the fear of the future. We live the anxiety. Of the future, we live through the chain and slavery of the past that we didn't like. To be able to truly live life, you have to disconnect that anxiety of the future that is unknown and remove any chain that you got from the past. Only then can you really truly live life.
0: Wow. Mate, I think we're going <laughs> to leave it on that last <laughs> saying because what an absolutely fantastic time I've had. Thank you very much for me allowing me to ask you some questions that I've never known the, tr- the answers to and being so open with No, this, I
1: wanted you to ask that. Uh, I think that when you came up with, with the idea, I thought it's true. I've been doing these things and, and he is uh, someone who's just asked a very simple question. I actually really wanted you to do it because we've had many conversations and I think that there is a depth in you that is very, very wise. So thank you very much for this today. Absolute mate.
0: pleasure, mate. Absolute pleasure. My honour and, mate, anytime you need anything. you know. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, mate.